As we get into James chapter 5, I think about singing that song, you think about what's happening in heaven right now. Uh, this morning in Clarksville, Tennessee, we get to sing about the holiness of God, but the Bible says in Revelation 4 in heaven, day and night, they never stop saying, they never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And can you imagine, we get to do that here today, but they're doing that around the throne of God in heaven as well. He is a holy, heavenly Father. Well, a number of years ago, Angie and I were in Atlanta, Georgia area. We had taken a group to a Sunday school conference. And one of the speakers at the Sunday school conference, and I got to meet him personally, was Mr. Truett Cathy. Mr. Cathy founded Chick-fil-A. And how many of you like Chick-fil-A? Say amen. I mean, I figured you'd say amen to that. It's a good place. But I'm thankful for Mr. Cathy's business leadership, but I'm thankful for his spiritual leadership. And on that particular occasion, he was not talking about how he started Chick-fil-A or even business principles about Chick-fil-A. He was talking about teaching Sunday school, which he had done for 50 years of his life. Every year he taught fifth grade boys, and so every year he would have a new group of boys. And Mr. Cathy said every year he wanted to teach those boys, fifth graders, three lessons. When they left fifth grade, he wanted them to know these three things. You say, well, what were they? Because I want to know what they were as well. One, he said, was their master. He wanted to make sure that those boys had a personal relationship with Christ. He shared the gospel week in and week out, talked about how you could have a relationship with Jesus. It was not by good works, but you surrender your life to Christ and trust him. He becomes the master of your life. Second principle is about mate. He talked about dating principles and how do you seek God's direction and who do you join your life with? How do you find a wife in life? And so he talked to those young fifth graders about how to date and then how to find a wife. And then he talked about mission was the third one. He said he wanted them to understand about what do you do when you graduate high school and you go to college and you look for your mission in life? What does God want to do in your life? What does God have planned for you? How can you surrender your life to God and follow his leadership all the days of your life? Just like we're praying for the graduates to do. You make sure you surrender your life to Christ. Seek his kingdom first. He'll do everything else in your life. Put him first in your life. And so... Mr. Kathy said he wanted to teach them those three lessons, every single fifth grade group. And so I thought about this. I thought, well, he could add a fourth one to that pretty easy. They all have to start with him. But he could have talked to those fifth grade boys about money. How do you handle money God's way? How do you be a good steward of all that God trusts you with in life? And so that's the focus of James chapter 5 is about this coming financial crisis. It's about money. Here's what we know. Research says this. Forbes magazine, other financial experts say at least 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. At least 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And you say, what does that mean? It means this, that 78% of Americans have no savings. And so when a financial crisis, a financial emergency happens in their lives, then they find themselves stressed and in trouble because the crisis is more than they can handle. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what life, here's what happens. One day your car is going to break down. What are you going to do? John Mark and I had the opportunity on Tuesday night going and pulling off the side of I-24. We had got news about a pastor from Florida and his daughter driving from Central Florida to South Dakota. She's doing an internship, got right to, to, I, to exit 4 on Interstate 24, and their car broke down. Here they are on the side of the road. We go out and we minister to them and help them. 
cars break down? What about there's a major repair that needs to happen around your house? What do you do when that happens? Maybe there's an employment change. You, you, your job's just not stable, so they change or you change. How does that affect you in your life? Or maybe it's just a medical emergency you didn't see coming. And so when those crises come like that, whether it's a car, a house, a, and a job, or whether it's a medical situation, how do you handle that financial crisis that you're dealing with? And here's also what we know just from real life, pastoral ministry. When you face a financial crisis in your life, it trickles down to other areas of your life as well. For example, when a financial crisis happens, many times it leads to shaky marriages. The number one reason couples disagree and ultimately divorce in this nation is over financial issues. What do you do when you face a financial crisis? I want to invite your attention to James chapter 5 as we look at God's Word. James, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the title of this is Warning to the Rich. And James just says, come now. He is an invitational preacher. Church, again, I've made this comment to you. I'll never apologize for giving an invitation. Whether it's on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or Wednesday mornings somewhere, I'm going to invite people to follow the leadership of God and give their lives to Jesus Christ. James was an invitational preacher and pastor. He says, come now. And then he identifies you rich. Now, what does that mean? He's writing to rich Jewish people. And he's writing them because here's the reality. They have not managed money God's way. Their focus was only on themselves. There were people around them who had needs, materially and other ways, and they ignored those people. So they were focused on their own selves, their own needs, their own wants, and they ignored the needy people around them. And James is just saying to them, that is wrong in the eyes of God. And because that's wrong in the eyes of God, a coming financial crisis is on the horizon. And James is going to speak very clearly to them with some strong, strong words. And so as you and I think about the way we steward money, the way we manage money, are we doing it God's way or the world's way? And as we think about money, are we doing it so that we can get our needs met or are we sensitive to the needs of other people around us? How are we allowing God to use the resources he's trusted us with to minister to the people around us? In 1918, there was known as the great influenza. There was the flu outbreak. I, I read many reports, but as many as 600,000 Americans lost their lives in 1918 to the flu. Now, I'm grateful today. Influenza is still an issue in our nation, but we've got great medicines and medical care for that. Just as COVID, we've had COVID for the last couple of years. We're seeing kind of coming out of that now, which I'm thankful for that. But as you and I think about this day in which we live, we're not really concerned about influenza, the flu, like they were in 1918. But here's another issue that's facing us in our nation, in this room this morning, and those who are watching. It's a cultural shift. It's not influenza. It's affluenza. What do we do with all the wealth and the stuff and the money and the possessions we have in life? What do we do with that? And here's what I find, whether it's young people, young adults, or even older adults. I see people all the time who do this. They will sacrifice their health. They'll sacrifice their family relationships. They'll even sacrifice spiritual intimacy with Jesus to make more money and to climb the ladder of success. 
It's dangerous to fall into that trap. And that's what James is saying to these Jewish individuals who are rich, warning to the rich, be careful, be wise in the way you handle what God gives you. Make sure you use it for the glory of God, but meeting the needs of other people around you. Now I'm going to walk through this. You've got your outline down. I'm going to give you a number of blanks to fill in because I want you to give you these words in walking through this text today about facing this financial crisis but I want you to look at this. The statements I'm going to give you are statements you'll hear from the world. But I want to look at them from God's Word because you're going to see something totally different. Look at number one, the money, the solution to my problems. How many people today believe, yes, we've got problems in life. I mean, we talk about physical problems, relational problems, financial problems, career problems, all sorts of problems. But here's what they believe. The solution to my problems is in the form of money. If I could get more money and more stuff, then all of my problems would go away. How many people believe that? Well, we must believe it because we dedicate so much time to do what? To gain more money and to gain more stuff and to climb the ladder a little bit higher. But here's what James says. Come now, you rich. And then he says to them, weep and howl. And then he says, for the miseries that are coming upon you. What does he mean? He's saying again that money is not the solution to your problems. They had problems. We have problems. He says, you rich, weep and howl. What is he saying there? It is okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. Why? Because of the miseries. Not misery, but miseries that are coming upon you. There is coming a financial crisis for these individuals in James chapter 5. And what we're finding again, the solution to your problems, not going to be in the stuff of this life. It's going to be in a personal relationship and a devoted walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you're going to find the solution to your problems. As we look at it, I remember back in the day when the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out. I mean, we were glued to our TVs. We thought if I could ever get on that show, maybe I could win thousands of dollars or even make a million dollars in a 30-minute segment on a television show. And you look in our nation, just, just read the research, even now where we are, that we literally have billions upon billions of dollars in credit card debt. We'll buy now and we'll pay later because here's what we want. Here's what we feel like we need. Individuals have thousands and thousands of dollars in credit card debt themselves. I'm sure there are people in this room and there are people watching. You look at your credit cards and you've got thousands upon thousands of dollars that you're responsible to pay back. But please understand again what I'm saying. Money is not the solution to your problems. Walk through this. Look at number one. They hadn't been trusting in the Lord. When, when James is writing to them, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. They had not been trusting in the Lord. That Their financial gain had been their God, and they had not been faithful to God. And so please understand, when, when you seek financial gain, and that is where your heart is at, you are always going to face serious and dangerous consequences when that happens. They have not been trusting in the Lord. I encourage you in your life, but also in your finances, make sure you trust in the Lord with everything that you have. Okay, number two, they hadn't considered the needs of other people. So in this, these miseries are coming upon them. They've been living with blinders on. You may have watched the horse race yesterday, the second leg of the Triple Crown. You may have seen that. How many horses had these things on their faces so that they could just see straight ahead? They couldn't see any other horses around them. They had blinders on. How many people in the Christian life live with blinders on? I don't see anything but straight ahead. I just see myself. I don't see the needs of other people around me. That was a situation which James was talking to. They didn't see hurting people. They only saw themselves. 
So if the church had a need, they didn't give to meet the need of the church. They took care of themselves. If there was a hurting person around them who needed food or clothes, they didn't meet those needs. Why? Because they were so consumed with themselves. Does that sound anything like the culture in which we live? Because many people believe, again, the solution to my problems is more money, more stuff, more prestige. Look at these two statements. More money equals stronger relationships. That's what people believe out there today. If I just get more money, I'm going to have stronger relationships in my life. Do you realize when you're at the grocery store, just look at the magazines? When you watch some television shows, you're going to see the marriages and relationships of the rich and famous oftentimes do what? They crumble right before the people's eyes. Just because you have more money doesn't always mean stronger relationships. Look at the second one. More money means happier lives. Many people believe if I get more money in life, more status in life, then I'm going to live a happier life. Here's the truth of the matter. I've known people who had significant amounts of worldly wealth in life, and they were still depressed, they were lonely, and they battled insecurity in life. So, so you've got to find yourself. Making sure you're faithful to God's Word, don't simply believe the lies of this world. Listen, money is not going to be the solution to your problems. Jesus Christ is the solution to your problems. Jesus and Him alone. But many people believe money, well... It just leads me to find answers to my problems. Look at the second one, money, the source of my security. How many people believe that money, if I can just get a lot of money, then I'm going to have a lot of security in life? If I can get a lot of possessions and I'm going to be able to do anything I want to do, I'll eat, drink, be happy, I'm going to be married, it's going to be great, life's going to do that. But please understand, money is not the source, it's not going to be the, the solution to your problems, but also it's not going to be the source of your security either. James outlines that. Here's what he says. Come now, you rich. Weep and out, meaning you cry, you grieve, because miseries are coming upon you. A coming financial crisis is at hand. And then here's what James said. He puts it in perspective. Your riches, all the money you've got, all the stuff you've accumulated, he says, have rotted. Now, I'm sure that was encouraging these people who had all this money and all this stuff of the world. And he looks at it and says, it's rottening right before your eyes. Just like fruit rottens, he said, your money is that way. It's rottening right before your eyes. And then he says, your garments are moth-eaten. So the very clothes you've got in the closet, moths are eating them. You're going to have holes in those. And then he says, your silver and gold have corroded, and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Isn't that encouraging? James is putting it straight out there to these people to say, the solution to your problems not in your riches. The security of your life is not in this money or this stuff. It is in Jesus Christ. Now, please realize, listen to this next statement. Your security is not in money. Your security is in Jesus in life. As you just think back in our nation, many of us in this room can identify with the statements I'm getting ready to make. You think about the 20s and 30s, the Great Depression. You just imagine how much pain and suffering there were in life. Many people lost everything they had during the Great Depression. And then you fast forward even into the 70s and 80s, the oil crisis we saw. People lost significant amounts of money. Gas lines were all the way down the street. Crisis hit our nation. 
And then you go into early 2000, you see the collapse of the dot-com companies. And then you look after 9-11, you say what? Stock market, mutual funds, investment accounts, all those bottomed out during that time. Then you come into 2008 and you saw what? The crisis in the real estate market. Many people lost their homes. Foreclosures were out of control during 2008, 2009. And then you just look at life today. And you look at it and you think, well, the stock market's way down again. Just go to the gas station and see what happens because uh, you, may, you may put $100 in your gas tank and your car's still not full. You just go to the grocery store and see what food prices are. Your bill's probably doubled over the last number of months. And then you look at the crisis we're facing in our nation over baby formula. How many babies are in the hospital because they're not getting the proper nutrition? In our nation, we see a coming financial crisis. But I think God's opening our eyes. Church, he's opening his eyes in this room and those who are watching to realize the solution to your problems is not in your stuff. And the security of your life is not in your stuff. I'm the security of your life. I'm the solution to your problems. It is Jesus and him alone. He's the one that we should be putting our trust in. Well, let me give you these blanks to fill. Number one, money isn't trustworthy. See, if you could find your security in money, then you wouldn't need God. God's never going to lead you to find security in something other than him. You just can't trust money. Now, I, I don't have a $100 bill in my pocket, but I got a $5 bill in my pocket. And we even, do we even listen to what money says? Because money on the back of it, it says what? Trust in me. No, it says in God we trust. Folks, we don't even listen to what the money says. This is not the solution. This is not the security of our lives. God is money is not trustworthy. Number two, money is temporal. I mean, you're not going to take it with you. I don't care how much stuff you've got, how much money you've got in the bank, you're not going to take it with you. It's only temporal. It's temporary in your life. I heard somebody say one time, money talks, and all it says to me is goodbye. <laughs> that may be your story as well. Uh, money does say something, and it goes out pretty quick in the day in which we live. But money is temporal. You're not going to take it with you. Lay up treasures in heaven not treasures on this earth. Enjoy what God's given you, but make sure your security is in him. Three, money isn't satisfying. Money is never going to satisfy you. You always need a little bit more. What did they say to Howard Hughes one time? How much is enough? But what did he say? Just a little bit more. You're never going to be satisfied with the things of this world. Jesus is the one who will give you satisfaction in your life. And then money is limited, as you see, number four. Limited what? I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care what your portfolio says. I don't care what the bottom line is for you. No matter how much money you've got, it will not get you from here to heaven. Think about heaven. You can't earn your way there. You can't buy your way there. You have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And why I'm here, let me make sure it is clear as clear can be. Jesus Christ left heaven... He came to this earth and took on human flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a horrific death on a cross. He shed his blood with nails piercing his hands and feet. He died on that cross, buried in a barred tomb. And on Easter morning, resurrection day, the stone was rolled away. Jesus Christ is alive. There is no four ways to get to heaven. There's not two ways to get to heaven. There's one way to get to heaven, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. 
So money will never get you there. Money is not the solution to your problems, and money is not the, the security of your life either. It's in Christ. Number three, money, the snare of my enemy. As you and I think about this text, James again writing, talks about your, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold silver corroded, your flesh is like fire. Then he says you have laid up treasure in the last days. And so what James is getting ready to say to them is the temptation of the enemy. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, at the Mount of Temptation, was tempted in many ways. The enemy is still tempting you and me to this day. And one of the areas he's going to tempt you and me about is the area of generosity. God has called us to be generous. Why? He's generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is a generous father. He wants you and me to be generous as well. And so when you look at this text here, the enemy is going to tempt us about generosity. Many people say, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would be generous with other people. Please understand, generosity is not based on the bottom line. Generosity is an issue of the heart. I've heard people say over the years, if I win the lottery, then I'm going to be generous with giving and even helping other people. Well, I'm never going to do that because I'm never going to play the lottery for one. But generosity is something, again, that God wants you and me to be about because he's generous. And the enemy is going to tempt you about the area of generosity in your life. Now, here's what happens. I want you to write these words down in James chapter 5. First word is wealth. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Wealth. And what he's saying is you've laid up treasure in the last days, but you've not been handling money God's way. It's been about the world's way. And he's given them a great challenge here. Miseries are coming. Financial crisis coming your way. Why? Because you have not been the steward that God wants you to be. You have followed the ways of this world, not the ways of Almighty God. It was a wealth issue. Number two, wages. He says you've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept back by fraud. You kept back by fraud. It's a wage situation. Here's what I mean by that. These people have been working all day. They were deserving a certain amount of pay. And then when it came time to sell up and to pay these workers, maybe they were said, we're going to give you $100 to work today. But when it time came, they only gave them $25. Fraud ripped these people off. And James is saying, your wealth is stored up somewhere. You have frauded these people out of wages that they earned, they deserved. You've kept it back for yourselves. Wages are coming up against you. Number three, workers. And he goes on to talk about the workers here. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. They're crying out. They don't have clothes to wear, food to eat. They're in basic need in life, and you have ripped them off, and they're crying out to God, just asking God to meet their needs. And James saying, this is coming before the Lord. This crisis, this misery is coming your way. And then number four, the witness of that, and the witness is what? He said, you've lived in luxury on earth and luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered the righteous person. Their witness was they had been unfaithful to God in life, but also in money management. Folks, you don't even understand, and I'm sure many of you do, but many still don't, how blessed we are in this nation. Uh, I remember one time being in Russia. And we were driving down some, some roads in Russia, going from one place to the other. And I saw all these people sitting on the side of the roads with, with large rolls of plastic. 
And I said to our driver and interpreter who was with me, what are these people doing? I see all these people trying to sell this stuff or sitting on the side of the road with it. And he said, well, they work every day. And instead of getting paid money, they get paid these rolls of plastic. And then they have the responsibility to sit on the side of the road trying to sell it so they can get money to meet the basic needs of their family. How many of us would do that? Folks, it's eye-opening to drive down the road and see people who worked hours upon hours every week of their lives trying to sell plastic to get money to put food on the table. Workers' wages. Look at these next things. How can you and I avoid a financial crisis? I want to finish here with some insights about what you and I can do today that we can avoid a financial crisis based on what James is saying. Number one, obey biblical principles. What do I mean there? Be a giver in your life. Don't just be a taker, be a giver. Oh, God's going to give to you and me. He's going to give us abundance more than we need, we even deserve. But make sure you're a giver. What does the Bible say in Acts chapter 20? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I just encourage you in your financial stewardship and management, make sure you give faithful to the Lord's work, to the church, so that we can get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Be faithful. Obey biblical principles in your stewardship. Here's what God's word says about money management, about stewardship. Be faithful as a giver, not just a taker. Follow the leadership of God and be willing to give. Number two, resist impulse buying. Or you're going to be tempted some days, something's not going to go your way, emotionally your life is a mess, and you just feel like, well, if I can just buy something, then that's going to make me happy again. You just got to resist impulse buying. Just because something is on sale doesn't mean you need it. In our day, you've got to be really careful now because you can buy all sorts of stuff with a click or two, and then it shows up at your house just a few days later, maybe even before the day is over. But you've got to resist that. If you're going to practice wise financial stewardship and resist this coming financial crisis, you've got to be obeying biblical principles but resisting impulse buying. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Number three, communicate about money. In your marriage and your family, if it's the number one issue that couples disagree about and ultimately lead to divorce, then you need to communicate about money. I say to couples who are getting married, I say this, make sure you die to yourself every day. Make sure you can date each other weekly in your life. But then I challenge them, make sure you communicate monthly about money. There may be one in the marriage relationship family who's dominant about handling money and making sure the bills are paid, everything's taken care of, and that's probably true in your house as it is in ours. But somewhere, make sure, though, you're communicating on a monthly basis financially. Here's where we are. Because, see, I've seen couples in my ministry, and they, they covered things up. They, they made purchases and never told their spouse. They, they'd beat someone to the mailbox, or they would get online to make sure this was taken care of so no one would ever find out. But I just encourage you, if you're going to avoid a coming financial crisis, communicate about money. Make sure you're on the same page about here's what we're bringing in, here's what's going out, here's how we're managing money a way God wants us to communicate about money. Number four, save with purpose. 
If you're going to be a good money manager, yes, we've got to earn and we've got to save and we've got to give. That's a part of it. But make sure you save with purpose. Make sure you're saving for those rainy days, emergency fund. Those things are going to tear up. The car, the house, the employment, medical needs, those things are going to happen. Make sure you're saving that when the rainy day comes, you're prepared. But also make sure you're saving for retirement, something beyond your working days. When I was a graduate's age, I thought retirement was forever. And then you blink your eyes and 10 years have passed. You blink your eyes again, another 10 years have passed. Make sure you prepare for those emergencies, retirement. And I never want to retire. We just want to redeploy. We want to continue serving Jesus, helping churches, encouraging pastors, and making a difference for the kingdom of God. When you look at your days when you're not working, how are you going to use your time, your money, and your influence to make much of Jesus in your life? Prepare for that. Save with purpose. Number five, eliminate senseless debt. Don't fall victim to all this credit card debt. Don't fall victim to this no, no payments until 2024. Don't fall victim to, well, you can take out this loan and they're not going to charge you any interest. Don't fall victim to those things. Avoid senseless debt in your life. It will catch up with you. You'll pay the price if you don't avoid that in your life. And then number six, practice radical generosity. I mean, here, here's what I mean by that. Obey biblical principles, that was on the front end, but practice radical generosity. What does that mean? There are people in this congregation there are people whom God's going to allow you to come around, and what are, they're, they're praying that God would meet needs in their lives, not wants, but needs. And then you allow God to use you to be an answer to someone else's prayer in his or her life. So what does that look like? Let me just give you a personal story in my own life. Years and years ago, Ange and I were serving in ministry, wasn't making a lot of money. The church was probably as generous to us as they could be. I was a student at Western Kentucky University at the time, but, but I had a desire to go to Belmont University in my life in Nashville. So my senior pastor and I, we drive down to Nashville. We meet with the dean, the School of Religion at Belmont University, and found out about the school, what was expected, the demands, all those things like that. And so we, we had a great meeting. We prayed together in his office. We drive back to Kentucky. He calls me the next day, and he says, we'd love to have you as a student here at Belmont. How can we make that happen? And I just thought to be transparent with him. I said, I'd love to do that. The drive from Kentucky to, to Belmont's not a problem. I could do that pretty easy. But the big issue for us is financially. Uh, we're just not going to go in debt for this. Uh, we, we don't want that in our lives. And so it's just a financial issue. We're not going to be able to afford to make the tuition cost at Belmont. So we're going to have to say no at this point. And then he said, let me ask you this. If your way was taken care of, would you become a student Belmont University. I said, well, let me pray about it. Yes, I would. And then so it happened pretty quick. And so he said, here's, here's what's going to happen. If you want to be a student at Belmont, which we'd like for you to be one of our students, we have a family here in Nashville who's going to take care of your way. They'll pay uh, your total way. Right. And, and, and he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to register for classes. They're going to send you a bill from the office and you just bring me the bill and I'll give it to them and they'll take care of it. But he said, there is one requirement though. They never want you to know who they are. Never. 
That happened semester after semester after semester. I'd get a bill, I'd take it to the dean. Evidently, he'd give it to them, and they'd take care of it. Life-changing. I graduated Belmont, had some other experiences in life and ministry, and to this day on this Sunday morning, I still do not know who that family is. Never. See, you can be an answer to someone else's prayer. Practice radical generosity. I remember one day as well, I was a student at Belmont. I was driving in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'd get up, leave the house at 5 a.m. in the morning, be on campus at 7, had an 8 o'clock class. And one day the dean of the School of Religion said to me, hey, before you leave campus today, I need to see you. And so I thought, oh, no, maybe the financial uh, has dried up a little bit. And so I go into his office, sit down again. He said, we're doing this partnership, Tennessee Baptist Convention. We're, we're, we'd like to send you to Santiago, Chile to represent Belmont and the preacher revival in Santiago, Chile. And I said to him, I said, well, the issue is a couple of things. I've never been out of the country. I don't have a passport. And I'm pretty confident couldn't afford to make that trip. And he said, well, here's what I'd like for you to do. If you'll go to the post office, couldn't do it online at the time, go to the post office, get a passport application, fill it out, bring it back here. We'll take care of the cost of that. We'll get you a passport. And then as far as the cost, traveling to Santiago, Chile, and staying there and doing ministry, we have someone who knows you and your situation, and they want to pay your way completely. It will not cost you a dime to travel to Santiago, Chile. That's radical generosity. Because that mission experience literally changed the direction of my ministry and our ministry. And from that experience, we have literally been all over the world sharing the gospel, taking people with us, planting churches, and it came out of Nashville, Tennessee, radical generosity. You and I can be an answer to someone's prayer in life. Be a giver, not a taker. There's a coming financial crisis, but you and I can handle money God's way and we can have peace in the midst of that crisis rather than chaos, stress, worry, or we wouldn't crash. We can do that because we're faithful to him and biblical principles. I want us to bow together. And we're going to pray together today. And as we pray together, I just want to encourage you again. As I said earlier, the greatest decision you'll make in your life today is giving your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today to give your life to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. In this room or watching, if you need to give your life to Christ and be saved, he'll save you today. He saves on Wednesdays and Sundays and every other day of the week as well. He'll save you today. We just encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord. You need to be baptized like we witnessed today in such a glorious way. Step out and come forward this morning. Our pastoral team is going to be here. We'd love to encourage you and pray for you and talk about how to be baptized in this church in obedience to Christ. Join the fellowship of this church. We'd love for you to step out and come forward this morning and join and connect with this church and say, I want to be a part of this faith family. Today I want to do that. And then maybe today you just need to come and pray. That's what this altar is for, for you to come and pray and surrender your life. And maybe your security has been in money. Maybe the solution to your problems you thought is money. Maybe the enemy is tempting you about generosity. And today you just need to say, Lord, I want to be generous because you're generous. 
Or maybe they'd say, Lord, my security, solution to my problem, not in money. Lord, they're in you. And I need to start living like they're in you, not this world. Our staff's going to be here. Our prayer team will be here. You're watching online. You can respond to the platform you're watching on. We'll respond to you today. We'd love to minister to you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this great invitation hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, because we encourage you to come to him. Now, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your invitation. And, Father, I pray today that we will turn our eyes upon Jesus and look into his wonderful, wonderful face. And so may there be obedience in this room and online today. And we pray this in Jesus' name.